Good morning, faith community. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 today as we read through the New Testament together. I want to start by reading to you verse 2. Paul says this, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. You know, oftentimes when we think of jealousy, we don't think of something that's good. What Paul describes right here is godly jealousy. How, how can jealousy be good only when it's godly jealousy? And what I mean by that, it's wrong for me to be jealous of anyone else or anything else as though I deserve it. But God is not like man in that he does deserve our praise, our adoration, our loyalty, our faithfulness. God does deserve that. So God can be jealous of us and we can be jealous of people for God with godly jealousy. Now understand this, Paul's not saying, I'm jealous of you. I want you for myself. I don't want you following other people. What he's saying is I'm jealous of you for God. He's letting the Corinthian church know, guys, I came to you and I proclaimed the gospel to join you to Christ, and now you're trying to go and join yourself to others, and I am jealous of you with godly jealousy. We have been saved to be betrothed to Christ. Now, now his concern, he says in verse 3, is that they might be deceived like Eve was. And he says they might be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You know, there's danger in the Christian life to believe that because I've been transformed, I don't need anybody else in my life to give me advice, to give me counsel. I don't need other people to warn me of the danger I'm placed in because I'm a new creation and I have the Holy Spirit. Well, this is really important. Eve was not a slave of sin. I want you to think about that for a second. The reason that Paul goes to Eve is because she was not a slave of sin. She didn't even have a sin nature. And so as a believer, having this understanding that you've been set free from sin, that you've been delivered from sin, that you've been redeemed and regenerated, does not remove you from the ability to be tempted, just like Eve was. You can be deceived. You can believe that what is evil is good, and what is good is evil, just like Eve was. Every single one of us is susceptible to that. And so Paul warns them that they need to hold fast to the word that they have been taught. And when anyone else comes and preaches a different gospel, they need to be rejected. They need to be fled from. What's the problem in the Corinthian church is its openness, that they're open to to other gospels. They're putting up with alternate versions of the gospel with alternate spirits. Understand the Holy Spirit is known by his fruits and his wisdom. When people are filled with the Spirit, they're filled with love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. All of these fruits are manifest by those who are walking in the Spirit. Those who are receiving wisdom from the Spirit are gentle, 
peaceable, willing to yield. You can know if what somebody is receiving is from the Holy Spirit or from their own sinful self based on the fruits in their lives. And Paul's warning them to not give in to this false gospel and listen to these false spirits. He reminds them of who he is. And they saw Paul sort of as this backwards proclaimer of the gospel. And they had these people came in who were very polished, very eloquent, very professional. And Paul says this, he says, he did not receive any payment from them. He was not a professional. He does not consider himself inferior, even though he's not trained in public speaking. He's certainly not untrained in knowledge, he reminds them, but he's made himself clear in everything. He says this in verse 7, did I commit a sin by humbling myself to you that I might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? What's happening is the Corinthian church is sort of looking down on Paul, and they have these people who are coming in, and they're requiring payment. They're requiring payment for what they did, and Paul reminds them, guys, I didn't ask for payment, and I did that so that you could not hold it against me. You could never doubt my motivation. I was not proclaiming the gospel to you for monetary gain, and what he's doing here is he's letting them know, guys, these false apostles are doing it for monetary gain. And that's the difference between us. Paul says he basically robbed the church at Macedonia while he was proclaiming the gospel to them because he utilized the aid they'd given to him to preach to the Corinthian church. And understand this, he was there for a year and a half. This was a long stop on his first missionary journey. And he spent 18 months there and didn't receive a single dime from them. Even though he had needs, he didn't communicate those needs for them. He did not ask them for help so they could never say to him, you're doing this for monetary gain. And, and it's so important that you look at leaders. And when you have leaders and there, the church is filled up with leaders today who say, hey, if you pay me, I'll pray for you. If you donate to this, then I will minister to you. That shows us that those are false teachers and the world is rife right now with this false gospel that says God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise. This prosperity gospel where preachers are constantly telling people, give me money and God will give you blessing. And you can recognize that's a fruit of a false proclaimer of the gospel. People who are saying, you meet my needs and then I'll meet your spiritual needs are always charlatans. Now, a worker is worthy of his wages. It's appropriate to take care of the people who minister the gospel to you, but when they're putting pressure on you, when they're showing their cards that their heart is there, uh, they're in it for the money, they're in it for the monetary gain, run away from those false apostles, from those false missionaries, from those false evangelists who are seeking people to be converted so that they might gain from them. Paul did not do this, and the Corinthian church saw that. He is begging them to look at his own character. 
Now, now Paul, he's, he's pretty explicit here when he talks about these false apostles. He describes them as servants of Satan. And he says you can recognize these servants of Satan because they disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Understand this. Satan doesn't come across to Christians as looking despicable as looking deplorable and sinful. What he does is he tries to dress himself up in righteous clothes. He tries to look very Christ-like, but there's always an adulteration of the gospel in his presentation of it. And you need to dedicate yourself to God's word so you can recognize these false apostles who are servants of Satan who are still in the world today. And you recognize them first because they proclaim a different, different gospel. They are proclaiming things that are not according to God's word, and we need to be training our senses to recognize that. The Corinthian church should have been able to look at these people in Paul and see in Paul the true proclaimer of the gospel. And because they're not seeing it, Paul reminds them of his life. And he goes into uh, uh, and he goes into this explanation of everything that he's gone through and everything that he's done so that he can defend his authority to proclaim truth to them. So he goes into this whole list about things that he has experienced. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far more beatings, many times near death. Five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open seas. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people. Dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. Not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Why does this commend Paul? Because the prosperity gospel preachers are living in comfort. They are living lives of ease. Why? Because that's why they're in it. Paul is suffering for the sake of the gospel, and it shows the truth of his heart. He has not shied away from proclaiming the gospel, even though it means over and over again he has to suffer physical pain, terrible hardship, torture, persecution, and he keeps on going. And they can recognize the charlatan because as soon as you take away their money, their means of gain, they leave. Paul is in it for gospel transformation. False proclaimers are in it for gospel wealth, and there's no such thing. There's no such thing as a prosperity gospel. What happens when we proclaim the gospel is we suffer. And Paul explains why in verse 29, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weakness. Paul is letting them know when he's weak, 
then he's strong. When he's suffering, when he's hurting, that's where the power of God is put on display. When you have leaders who don't suffer, who don't hurt, you don't know who their God is. They know who Paul's Lord is because of the way that he suffers. Understand this, when you suffer, when you go through hardship and turmoil, you put on display to the world who your Lord is. Is it God or is it mammon? For these false teachers, their God is mammon. For Paul, his God is Jesus Christ as Lord. What would people say about you when you suffer? Who is your Lord? I hope you, like Paul, can say, my Lord is Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you.